I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to The Parenthood. There's a lot of talk around gut health in the media, the idea that the health of this organ holds the key to your overall health, and it's something that we need to take great care in cultivating. But because there's a lot to talk about, there are a lot of mixed messages about what you can do to ensure good gut health. And so today, my co-founder, Dr. Kiara Hunt, and I are talking to Dr. Neil Shah, a pediatric gastroenterologist. Neil, thank you very much too for joining us. So just to clarify, for us sort of non-medical lay people, um, a gastroenterologist, or the name gastroenterologist, I can hardly pronounce it, <laughs> it's a bit confusing. What is it exactly that you do? So I'm a paediatric gastroenterologist, so I look after children's gut problems um, uh, from any age from 0 to 16, basically. And you work at Great Ormond Street, don't you? Yeah, so I work at Great Ormond Street in Portland Hospital, my two little bases, and that's what I've been doing for many years now. And uh, I'm a GP, and Neil sees a lot of my patients, so I can't quite work out. <laughs> <laughs> so what what is it that people mean when we talk about gut health? What is this concept? So if you're a gastroenterologist, you're probably at your most exciting time because finally people have started to think about the gut as being the key organ for everything in terms of long-term health. So gut health is important for aging, it's for cardiovascular disease, it's important for obesity, it's important for allergies, actually. It's important for almost every future aspect of your children, not just when they're young, but when they're older as well. And we've started to know and understand a lot more about the gut in, the, in recent years and the whole concept of good bacteria in the gut and our own microbiome, which is personal to our bodies, is something that when I was at medical school, certainly no one was talking about. So you can't go to a medical meeting and someone not talk about a microbiome. There are about a trillion bacteria sitting in your gut and your gums. There's more DNA, there's more metabolism, more metabolites, and all these products sitting in your gut that influence almost everything that's going to happen. And you only have about a thousand days in your lifetime to influence that unique pattern. So that's in pregnancy, antenatally, and the first two years of your child's life. And that sets you for the rest of your life. And that's amazing. Uh, and so, you know, mothers are often asking me about how, what can I do to improve my child's gut health? When, when is it important to start? So it, you're saying as early as pregnancy with that child is important. Yeah, so we begin to worry about what happens antenatally, how your child is born, yeah, and the way your child's born, the role of antibiotics, how we feed our children, um, breastfeeding being the best choice throughout and then if you can then influence that and regulate it it's going to influence your child's health for the rest of their life so yeah. your first thousand days is absolutely fundamental and is there anything you can do already sort of in pregnancy before the child is born so we're still learning we're in a learning phase and the learning is rapid at the moment yeah and what we're really beginning to understand that different bugs it's not about one bug it's about profiles of bacteria not forgetting their fungi in there they're viruses and there's a whole combination of good ones of good ones yeah. yeah and that's what we call the microbiome but it's a pattern which almost is unique to each one of us and we can influence those patterns and those patterns sometimes start 
off badly. So that's called dysbiosis or a bad bacterial pattern. And we Um, want to learn to influence those. So what can make it start off badly? Is that just bad luck or? No. So things like um, born by cesarean section. If you're born naturally and vaginally for a normal birth, then your microbiome pattern of your child is usually your child's gut is encountering infant bacteria that are immature. Your immune system is very immature when you're young and it's not going to overreact. If you're born by C-section, you're liable to be born with bacteria that are adult type and your immune system can't cope. So that's dysbiosis. Um, And it's, you know, it's the reason why we've now seen the emergence of new diseases that are autoimmune diseases, um, non-infectious types of problems, you know, diabetes, all these conditions that previously we probably didn't encounter because our gut was encountering infections and busy dealing with those rather than dealing with, you know, things that are not dangerous, but our bodies are starting to recognise them inappropriately as being dangerous. And obviously, um, you know, how we're born is something that uh, our parents or we can often not influence. There are, it's often out of, out of parents' hands. So, um, just being born by C-section doesn't mean that the old child's going to have a bad gut biome for the rest of its life. As you said, it's the first first two years, essentially, of the child's life um, and pregnancy that's, 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 um, that is a big influencer. So yes. what can they... I mean, breastfeeding you talked about. I mean, so antenatally, people are starting to discuss the role of probiotics in mothers um, last trimester. Yeah, when you're pregnant yeah when you're trimester. pregnant so if you're at least on some good probiotics that are safe then probably you reduce you reduce the risk of allergies like eczema and skin conditions but again there's not a huge amount of evidence out there at the moment more importantly if you are born and you have a higher risk group so cesarean sections early antibiotics using good bacteria that is you know, safe and good to give your babies is probably going to be of benefit, not just for the short term, but for the long term as well. So you're talking probiotics? Yeah, I am. So there are different classes of probiotics. And remembering that each probiotic contains a whole array of different bacteria. And you'll hear names like acidophilus, lactobacilli, bifidobacteria. These are all the long names that doctors use. But it's the combination that makes the difference. And can people buy that in the? Are those the ones you see on the pharmacy shelves, or do yeah. you have to be prescribed that? It's um, no. There are one or two prescription ones, but the majority are over the counter because they're considered a nutrient rather than being a medical prescription. Um, and with that, there are many, many uh, over-the-counter ones. Um, still, a lot of work needs to be done with what's best for what child because you probably need very tailored ones, but we're not that sophisticated yet. Is there anything that parents need to look out for in, what, in the type they're buying? Does a certain bacteria need to be in there, or do they all have pretty much everything? Um, they all generally have much of a muchness. There are certain types of species that are probably better, but... Remember, it's tailoring. So your child may be missing certain types that are worth replacing. We're not really in the position of testing as a routine yet, although there are people doing testing. What is good and what is bad is still being worked out. But so gen- how do you know as a parent what to give? No, well, you that's the yet. difficult. We don't <laughs> yet. Um, you should ask me this question in about 10 years. We'll be really <laughs> knowing the answer. So should you question. just try some different ones and see how your child... Yeah, generally, most people... Uh, having a probiotic has very, very few risks. If any, there is, you know, and most of the time, the long-term benefits are going to be very, very big. And are they sort of an oral suspension? Are they a liquid that you Yeah, give? they're generally suspensions at the moment. The, some people worry about because sometimes they're based in lactose based formulas but generally they're generally all pretty safe and is there if you're a mother who's breastfeeding if you're taking uh, probiotics following the birth can that then go through to the baby or is there is that just good for your gut and not for the babies Um, the best pre and probiotic i'm going to talk about prebiotics shortly is that the best probiotic you can give is breast milk yeah it's phenomenal yeah mm. it contains all the right ingredients and everything we're trying to do is copy it yeah mm. yeah but we still don't understand so much about breast and it feeding. probably is tailored to our children yeah it in is a way we don't know yeah. yet for example you know, breast milk contains lots of lactose yeah lactose generates good bacteria that's called a prebiotic and the influence of breast milk on your child, which is probably tailored to your child's need, because not all breast milk is equal, yeah, mm. is going to generate the healthiest bacteria, um, the microbiome, for the future for your child. And that's a tailored sort of... And is there much data or much... Um, have there been many studies into 
how long you breastfeed for and whether that makes much of a difference? Um, so we were designed to breastfeed till two. <laughs> the percentage of people who breastfeed to two is sadly very low. Um, uh, but um, we don't really know exactly how long, but the longer you breastfeed, the better. That's for certain. Yeah. Yeah. And probably the first six months is the most important till the child yeah. is on solids. Absolutely. Because realistically, breastfeeding till two for busy working mums is, yeah. is often just not possible. No. And you want to just get a happy medium that is yeah. good for your baby and good for you. Absolutely. I mean, if you can get, I mean, I think it's amazing when a mum walks from my door and is breastfeeding to six months. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you'll always see me smile a lot and yeah. I actually think, wow, fabulous. And I think, you know, that child's gut is going to be healthy because that's what the mum's done by breastfeeding and then you know introducing solids will change that profile but there couldn't be a better start and if if, i mean there are again lots of reasons why mums can't breastfeed or Mm, or struggle to breastfeed and what's the next best thing okay so if a child so most infant so when a child um when a mother can't breastfeed yeah you know it does happen there are multiple reasons for doing that is that there are loads of our infant formulas that are designed to be as close as possible to breast milk so there's no danger in doing that it's safe um, and people are beginning to strategize about using pre and probiotics a lot of them have them in yeah and they're built in there and it's part and parcel of the role of those to mimic breast milk so there's no harm in doing that and actually there's lots of gains in the infant formulas as well so they're good like the added vitamins and yeah so there's added sugars called goss and foss these are the long doctor's names for them and they're basically they're good sugars exactly um you have some specialist infant formulas that have probiotics built within them there's one called lactobacillus IgG that is added to an allergy milk mm-hmm. so that's um so those are specialist formulas so they're generating sort of equivalents yeah and see and they're all really good for you as well if you can't breastfeed or if you've decided to stop it however many months down the line or yeah. weeks and then just a good alternative absolutely yeah infant formulas are all designed to be appropriate and built for babies until at least the age of one mm. yeah. and has there been a lot of money and research and effort gone into creating infant formulas or is it something that hasn't really evolved in the last two decades I, I think there's an enormous amount of research that goes into infant formulas to be not only safe but to be appropriate for short and long-term well-being of your children and the investment in research into it is enormous and um, but what they're doing is trying to mimic what breastfeeding does for you and there are so many uh, different types of formulas on the market and if your baby is well or maybe just has a bit of colic you know there are all these anti-colic formulas and added elect you know uh, reflux formulas is there anything are they is that just marketing or is that so i'm not i don't prescribe any anti-reflux milks or formulas i don't think they work <laughs> i think um, it's a transient phase you need to recognize colic that isn't just colic so can be mistaken for milk allergies and mm. stuff mm. but most colic is transient it's resolvable and it's reassurance and time yeah. that will overcome that no formula will overcome that yeah and, i mean that's what we spend i'm sure you and i both spend a lot of time yeah, to, lot. talking to our patients <laughs> about but but in a colic can you give us a description of, of you know, if a parent says to you, what, what is colic? Why is my baby crying? And it seems to be her tummy. Do we, so, do we know? <laughs> so, well, colic's really interesting because it's really cultural. It depends which kind of part of the world you're in because people treat colic very differently. Mm. And see, so British colic, if you like, yeah. is short-lived. It's increasing from the age of about six weeks. And then you'll see a peak especially in the evening symptoms between 6 and 12, and then it will die off after about 12 weeks and babies begin to learn to sleep. So up until that point, you'll get a peak of colic and then it should settle. And And people want to treat it, don't they? Yeah, they do want to treat it and it's a normal event. You know, don't get me wrong, I've had two boys who are really colicky and with milk allergies and all the rest of it, and both those boys didn't have colic, they just had misery. (laughs) And that's very different from... Um, colic which usually just settles by itself just with you know whichever calming technique and do we think do you think it's just to do with the gut maturing and the baby's getting used to their gut essentially so the gut I mean if you think about what you eat every day you know I think it's remarkable your gut doesn't react you know because in the end you're throwing proteins fats carbs bacteria you know we challenge our guts by going to nice restaurants and all the rest of it yet we're always amazed that our baby's guts that are completely immature, that are maturing with new barrier formation, new protective layers, 
that they don't react to the environment they're given mm. yeah and it's an adaptive phase and we sort of think oh well, that's really abnormal it's not it's just an adaption into maturity so yeah. what what are, what are the other cultural colics i'm interested <laughs> so yeah so when you have people who the, the, the time the people's response rates and reporting rate of colics are very very different if you're japanese german uk so people swaddle their children for different amounts of time leave their children to cry for different amounts of time it depends on the way the families are brought up and it's very interesting to see what different cultures will do and crying doesn't necessarily mean discomfort and also doesn't necessarily mean illness no it doesn't yeah and sometimes it's a need yeah you cry because their baby has a need (laughs) and it's just normal yeah and some babies just take longer to settle than others yeah they do what about the over the counter things you buy for colic is there anything you is there anything so there's products like smeficone or infocol and these sort of um, trade name products and they you know they do work as a transient baby you know and if it works fine yeah yeah Yeah, but don't expect it to work for very long and and, the evidence is minor on them in terms of helping but you know at that time when you're exhausted and tired and it helps a little bit so be it it's worth worth a go it's not going to do any harm yeah exactly (laughs) when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. One of the questions we get asked a lot on the bump class is about babies' poos. In fact, we warn the girls that they're going to be talking a lot about uh, what comes out the other end. And Neil and I were just chatting about how many photos of poos generally we get sent <laughs> by our patients yeah. uh, as, as, as uh, doctors. So that's not they uncommon. Have little, they have little albums of poo yeah. collections. <laughs> <laughs> so what? I mean, what's normal in re- with regard to babies' poos? I mean, so, in terms of frequency and consistency. I'm sorry to those of you listening. It's yeah. <laughs> perhaps a bit distasteful, but it's important you want to know don't you so the first thing is depends how you're feeding your child yeah so if you're breastfeeding your child is healthy and well it can be anything yeah Yeah. if you're formula feeding it's different you know so we generally begin to look at is the poo painful is it infrequent not just is it hard because sometimes it can be soft with excessive straining yeah yeah and if the child hasn't pooed every three days or less so yeah. four days once every fourth day or fifth day then you begin to be suspicious but if the child's absolutely well then just ignore yeah. it yeah. i remember learning in medical school that you were told you know if a breastfed baby who's well anything between seven times a day and once in seven days is kind of considered normal yeah so um, my old professor used to say you're allowed to poo if you're breastfed once every 13 days or 13 times <laughs> Day, so yeah. that's what <laughs> so so everyone, everyone has an anecdote about yeah. babies and breastfeeding. Yeah. But the the, the 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 message is, if your baby is well and thriving and doesn't yeah. seem to be uncomfortable, then that's completely yeah. fine. And in terms of consistency, what I have a lot of patients talking about explosive poos and um, babies you know, passing a lot of wind, and is that a problem? So, in terms of consistency, it can be a problem, but generally isn't. Yeah, because. It depends on how quickly the poo, the, the food products are moving down your gut. Yeah, Remember, poo's made up not only of food, it's made up of the lining of the bowel, it's made up of the bugs, the microbiome that we are just talking about, mm-hmm. and it's consistency. Just think about yourselves. Yeah, You're not the same consistency, colour or frequency every day. Yeah. Why should your babies be? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And imagine when you start weaning, the consistency dramatically changes, mm-hmm. and that's normal. There are some things to look out for. Blood, obviously, is always a worry. Mm-hmm. Um, mucus, sometimes times can be normal but mainly it's an abnormal feature yeah Yeah, if your child's got a persistent nappy rash that isn't going away yeah Mm. that's different uh, from a child who has a bit of redness around their bottom so Mm. there are other clues you never look at it in isolation Mm. Mm. Um, i sometimes worry if the poo is so watery that it's soaking right through the nappy that's very different for a long time yeah exactly and it's the persistence of these symptoms that make the difference yeah 
No, I think um, I think you know poo is a, a big chat when it comes to mothers <laughs> with their babies, and it carries on. It you carries know. on for a lifetime um, around the so, dinner table. So what, yeah, <laughs> what about as they're getting onto solid food? You know, we talked about the importance of breast milk or probiotics in formula. You know, once they're um, uh, once they're off breast milk, but what about when we're starting to feed them solid foods? We, everyone, we've done podcasts on weaning, so we know that we start with the simple, you know, uh, root vegetables and simple fruits and baby, baby rice, but um, um, once we're starting to get a bit more diverse than that, is there anything we can do to improve our children's gut health in terms of what we're giving them? Um, so everything you eat should be in balance, um, but it's just a variety. Uh, it's keeping a variety, keeping things balanced and in proportion. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously, fresher Do- and healthier is always going to be better than something that's processed through. Yeah. Does when does when we start weaning? I know it's, there's a big impact on early weaning and allergy, uh, generally speaking. So a lot of the allergists are saying if you start closer to four months than six months, that can be better. But what about in terms of the gut health? So most of us will still follow the World Health Organization's mm. criteria mm. around six months. Mm. Yeah, and that's generally what I follow. I think there are some bits of evidence around um, children with eczema mm. who have peanut allergy risks and egg allergy risks that you might be able to diminish those. But the argument's raging at the moment about when you should be weaning, and it's still not certain. It's still not clear. Um, I'm not a fan of a child with lots of symptoms early weaning. Yeah, I, I don't think that that generally works because what you want is the gut settled and stable. Yeah, so anywhere between, you know, the arguments rage between four and six months. But generally, yeah. I will wean between five and six months. Yeah, between yeah, usually yeah, between yeah. five and six is sort of suits most people. And yeah, maybe absolutely. Seem to be ready at that. And point. people are starting to prepare to go back to work. And then what's there on a more diverse? I mean, we know that, or there is talk that that fermented foods are good for the gut. Is that? I mean, is that? Yeah, right, so I, I mean, can't... getting children to eat fermented foods is going to be a bit difficult. But... <laughs> <laughs> I can't even smell kimchi. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's the most disgusting thing we've ever smelt. <laughs> so, so when you look at fermented foods, I come from a culture that if you're unwell, yeah, fermenting stuff is actually what you do to recover your yeah. children. And yeah. actually, there is some, probably some evidence around it. I'm not an expert in this area. But in terms of that, you know, one, you have to get the kids to eat the stuff. And the second thing is that it probably has some evidence behind it. But I don't know. I really don't. So know. a varied diet what you're saying yeah. i mean what about um vegetarian veganism how often should we i know we talked briefly about this before but you know, meat meat in the diet is generally it's good for some things nutritionally but is it very important is it very bad for you so um, I'll say to you guys later earlier that I'm, I'm vegetarian and you know the, the dramatic changes between vegetarian and eating eating are quite dramatic in terms of in, in terms of gut health gut microbiome bacterial flora it's one of the most dramatic things you can do to your gut and uh, if you go from eating meat to becoming a vegetarian does that still change your gut um, yeah, it does. As long as you stay in balance and you stay healthy yeah, and see if you're going to be vegan, then equally you can stay more than healthy. But, it, you, you know, you have to work harder at the balance you know, to get the right balance between proteins, carbs and fats and micronutrients and nutrients. So it's all about getting everything in, in proportion. Yeah. yeah, and probably when you look at the research and, and, and meat, you know, a, f- a few times a week actually is probably more than enough. Um, certainly I say to my patients, you know, you certainly don't need more than one. Um, meal a day with with a meat or fish in it, um, but uh, it's a cultural thing, isn't it? A lot no, of us just a lot of people just no. eat it with every meal. No, yeah. and that's not necessarily a good thing. Yeah. No, yeah. I remember thinking that my children needed to have meat every day, at least once a day, um, to sort of build their protein levels. But yeah, now I, I think it, it's what the most amazing thing to watch is the change in patterning of eating in terms of people becoming vegetarians or vegans yeah. across Europe. It's dramatic. Yeah. 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 And it's actually interesting because I'm now being asked quite a lot in clinics about um you know can my child be this can my child be vegetarian can they be is it vegan healthy? Yeah. yeah is it healthy yeah what about um intolerances I, I mean it's something i'm sure you see a lot of in clinic i certainly have conversations a lot about it it seems to be quite um common nowadays you know i don't know if a lot of parents are sort of diagnosing it themselves sometimes doctors might be diagnosing it more um we know that cow's milk protein is intolerant uh, intolerance is quite is quite common, uh, quite uh, closely linked to the refluxy symptoms that babies can get. But are there other intolerances that that uh, uh, people should look out for, or are these? Is this just a fad? So some of it's real, some of it is faddy, and some of it is increasing. So there's a spectrum. So the real stuff is where there's a symptom group that goes together. So the children feel unwell, their back arching, stiffening. It's what people call silent reflux. They're pooing differently. They're 
yeah, they're crying a lot, crying, and they're irritable. Their stools are different. That's very different. So that's what people call cow's milk protein intolerances. Mm. Um, as you get older, gluten sensitivity seems to be increasing. Mm. You know, they remember there are one in a hundred people in the UK who are European in extraction will have celiacs. Yeah. But also, there's a lot of people where we've stopped hunting, if you like, and started gathering through wheat and stuff. Those environments are where gluten sensitivity is rocketing. Yeah, and we are saying it's a genuine condition, gluten sensitivity. So these are people who are not celiac, they don't have celiac disease, but they are yeah, very they sensitive. They clearly to, show sensitivity to gluten. to gluten. And, and children. Yeah, and children can yeah. do it as well. And then you get the other group who are just doing it because they think it's better for them. Yeah, yeah. And that's where the waters get really muddied because you don't really know how to separate some of those groups out and trying to convince families to put it back in into your diet and then challenge the children you know, with these foods um, is based on what the families believe as well. So, so taking something out of the child's diet, be it milk or gluten, for example, is not a good idea unless your child has symptoms of something yeah, that is related. So I, I think you should never take a good, important food group out unless you've got one medical direction in doing it mm. and there's good reason to do it. And not only do you test those reasons you would want to retest that as long as it's safe by mm. reintroducing it to make sure those symptoms are not just accidental and yeah. also because children do grow out of them yeah absolutely so the most um, what people call intolerances or delayed allergies most children will grow out of it but it's not quite what people think so people think like milk allergy for example grows out of it at the age of one most children will grow out in the second and third year of life so it's slightly more protracted than people realize but if your child's been diagnosed with a cow's milk protein intolerance as a baby that doesn't mean they're never going to be able to drink milk does not, it not at all yeah and you know and so a lot of children will recover and become absolutely normal and we hardly see i mean Cara, when you send me patients i hardly see them after the age of one because most of them are managing beautifully and they're doing really well yeah. and is that the same with gluten intolerance gluten's slightly different because gluten can be quite like longer lived yeah you see it in older children yeah. it can be associated with things like irritable bowels and stuff mm. yeah it can be uh, sort of a driver of the gut becoming irritated and it can be quite long lived and it's more common as you get older mm. yeah. and see so you know gluten intolerance is interesting because it's rising yeah. and in terms of testing for it um talk, talk us through that so if we deal with gluten so let's deal with gluten first gluten is basically a case of not taking anything out unless you've made sure that your child has or has not celiac disease because once you've taken the gluten out we won't know yeah the tests come back yeah they come back negative because you've treated yourself and then once you're sure it's not celiac disease and you're sure your child's got symptoms you take it out of your diet takes anywhere around two to four weeks and then you should re-challenge it and the symptoms should reproducibly recur yeah Yeah. and re-challenging means introducing yeah reintroducing it back into your child's diet and because there's so many coincidental things that can look like colic can look like tummy aches and pains and actually you need to be careful not to take major food groups out without good sound evidence yeah and then also if you do having the input of a dietitian or you know someone who can really help you make sure your child's getting a balanced diet this is really important isn't it yeah i mean i'm lucky i work with some amazing dietitians you know some of the best in the world i think and mm-hmm. you know those they're really really you know key to ensuring good nutritional safety mm-hmm. especially if your child has to have a food group removed from their diet mm-hmm. but there's not i mean there's not a sort of magic blood test or magic stool test that's no, going to tell you about these intolerances is there no i mean especially if you take cow's milk allergy which is delayed and affecting the gut the, the holy grail everyone's looking for a, a test that's reliable yeah yeah sometimes the testing can guide you a little bit but generally everyone's looking for a test that's reliable and if we're talking about milk um nutritionally uh, is is uh, is there a big difference between cow's milk and goat's milk for example or uh, i have a lot of patients of saying to me should i just be giving my child goat's milk formula rather than cow's milk just because isn't it more healthy what's your view on that um, so I, if a child's tolerant of, say they were on infant formula and they're tolerant of a cow's milk formula, I would never recommend them to go on anything else. Yeah. Because? Um, because there's so much overlap and there's no advantage. Yeah. So anything from four legs, the protein of cow's milk is very similar to goat's milk, about 96%. If you take sheep's milk, it's 86% similar. So you're just giving them the same product, more or less. Yeah. Mm. And see, so but is it nutritionally less good? Um, so they've been better in the last few years that most of these um, companies are now um, fortify them. Yeah. Uh, and so they are just as good as the infant formulas. Uh, but yeah, but there's no logical reason to go on to these formulas. Yeah. You know, if your child needs 
an alternative formula and think about why but yeah. generally stick with cow's milk based formulas because uh, they're just as good and then if they do need a different formula they should be seeing a doctor for yeah it, i generally think I, I always feel very uncomfortable when someone comes into the office and uh, into the clinic and says well my child's on goat's milk and they're better and yeah. like mm, and then generally i think that's fatty rather yeah. than actually yeah. being a disease base yeah. and what about when your child's older and drinking milk as a as a drink or on their cereal is there any benefit to not you know having cat, goat over cow or, or even using almond milk instead yeah, the of the plant-based milks so um so there's things to think about so what the advantage of cow's milk is calcium but also iodine yeah, yeah. because these are the things that are fortified or added all high in content in cow's milk so if you're restricting cow's milk because you're using an over-the-counter formula be careful because you're going to be losing key nutrients in your diet yeah and again you have to have a good reason to do that yeah there's no reason to switch to the over-the-counter formulas mm-hmm. unless there's a medical reason to do it so but they, they you know those are improving you know the plant-based formulas yeah um, and be wary of soya because soya cross reacts with dairy so yeah. you have to be careful of soy but the others yeah they are fortified with calcium some of them and see but it's some but of the that actual different. drinks or the actual kind of the actual milk when it's fresh when they're older is there a benefit or is there any difference um, what do they get i mean nutritionally cow's milk is actually very good yeah can tolerate it. so i mean again you go back to just in terms of the other over-the-counter formulas and now nutritionally they're not as wholesome they came from contain very little protein sugar content's different and they're not they're drinks more rather than formulas really because they don't contain which which one any of them so you know if you get hazelnut almond oh all oh, those kind of ones are plant-based mm. yeah they're nutritionally not complete so you shouldn't be using them in very young children yeah. after the age of two it's not so dependent we don't drink a lot of milk in our diet we have it on our cereals you might have the odd drink with it and it's not a major factor in okay. our diet so it doesn't really matter it doesn't matter child's. at that age but it does matter if you're an infant especially don't do it under one yeah that you have to do with medical guidance yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. What about what about things like sugars? Again, for older children, you know, we're constantly talking about sugars being bad for us, but there's lots of good sugars, aren't there, that children need to have that are important for gut health. Yeah, I'm going to go back to balance here because everyone gets <laughs> really worked up about sugars, and yeah, refined sugars have a problem if you have them in excess. But we have sugars because they're good for you in in the right proportions, and so you know, and equally, some of the sugars that we have in our diet, like lactose, for example, mm. that everyone worries about is lactose is one of the best generators of good bacteria in your gut. It's, yeah. Yeah, it has a big prebiotic effect and why we restrict it without good reason. Yeah. Um, I can't drink lactose because I'm Indian and I have an 80% chance that I will be lactose intolerant because my genetics determine that. Yeah? Yeah. And that's true for lots of races. But if you don't have that problem, yeah. then don't take it out of your diet yeah. because it's good for you. Yeah. And babies and lactose intolerance? So I have an easy rule. I never want to see lactose intolerance diagnosed in an under one unless it's post-infection. It does not exist yeah. um, except in a tiny bit of Latvia and a tiny bit of Finland. And I've never seen it. I work in a rare diseases hospital and I've never, ever seen lactose intolerance as a primary diagnosis. In yeah. a baby under one. Um, and the other confusion is lacto-free formulas yes. have cow's milk base but no lactose in it. So they are not suitable for cow's milk allergy. So GPs, um, parents, lots of people confuse lactose intolerance. So do pediatricians. Yeah. So they are not the same thing. One is a sugar, one is a protein. What, so uh, lactose intolerance and cow's milk protein intolerance. Yeah, yeah two so it's completely a different big, things. Yeah. big difference. And don't, don't diagnose <laughs> it until the, uh, under the age of one. It doesn't exist. Yeah. Mm. Um, I mean, I have read that sugar is really bad for your gut. Um, and I've obviously seen people sort of take it to the extreme and not let kids eat tomatoes because they've got a high sugar content. Yeah. Where's the sort of boundary? I mean, there's a very different to kind of feeding your kids Haribo every afternoon to not letting them have tomatoes <laughs> so you know on my the side. Kids <laughs> <laughs> so, no, but in terms of, um, so again, if you look at sort of some non processed, some sugars actually, so I'll say, let's take artificial sweeteners. You know? Yeah. Artificial sweeteners are generally bad for you they give you bad bacterial profiles we use a lot of them yeah yeah and they are in a lot of processed foods aren't they in a lot of processed foods and they generate bad microbiome for you so they're not good for you in large amounts yeah um natural sugars again in proportion perfect for you they will generate good bacteria good healthy gut you'll absorb them you know you have to 
brush your teeth, obviously. But apart from that, yeah, they're not bad for you. So yeah. we're talking grapes here, or are we talking kind of natural cane we're, sugar? Uh, we're talking grapes, yeah, 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 see, yeah. See, there's lots of fads about new sugars around and yeah. about at the moment. And when the, the jury's out of whether that makes a difference or not, I don't think we know yet. But. Yeah, just feels better because it's more expensive. Does, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it probably does. So. Fibre, that's the other thing that people talk a lot about. Do you need to be giving your children fibre or do they have enough of it anyway? Uh, so the UK population probably drinks plenty of fibre, uh, eats plenty of fibre in their diets. Yeah. And when we have fibre, it's balanced, you know, it's there to bulk and help transit of poo through your bowel. Um, it generates good bacteria because it's a pre and probiotic effect. So generally fibre imbalance and having a normal diet will be perfect. You don't have to add excess fibre. And just a word on constant patient there is a lot of people who give lots of water and lots of extra fiber to their children because their children are constipated it doesn't make a blind bit of difference so what does when your child is constipated so a lot of constipation is based around the behavior of toileting yeah mm. and it has very very little to do what you're feeding your children some children need medicines but the majority it's around your child's toileting behavior and that's because they are a bit anxious yeah, it can about be a whole, bowels, whole host or? of things you know it could be simple as basically they've had an episode of painful pooing and they're scared yeah because it is very painful to mm. you know if you had blood in the stalls because of something called a fissure yeah it's exquisitely painful and they get scared yeah and if the stalls still remain hard they will not want to poo and they'll retain it and, and the longer you hold it the harder it gets the harder it gets yeah. and it's just a vicious cycle that does it help giving them a bit of lactulose just to kind of soften it up and make it a bit easier only if you need to yeah, yeah. because actually um if you want to get them over the in uh, the, the, the hump of having painful pooing because it's hard the initial bit works really really well yeah. and then it's just getting them into regular toileting patterns yeah. so. but they can and there are certain things they can eat that can help you know i mean prunes and yeah prunes are fabulous yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you go back to what grandmum used to yeah, use it works work. really work. really well the great and stimulating better than prune juice i think because you've got the fiber of the prunes yeah, and kids like them and because they're like absolutely they taste really sweet yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so so yeah no so you know natural remedies work just as well and you know yeah, definitely getting that. And that must be something you see quite commonly. Yeah, I see it a lot in the babies, actually, because obviously no one wants to give their child a medicine unless yeah. they have to. And yeah. actually using natural remedies, you know, prune juice is yes. what they use because yeah. it's sweet. The babies really like the taste mm-hmm. and it does work. It's a good stimulating laxative. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's not a medicine, like you yeah, say. No, so exactly. really yeah, no, exactly. So what else do you see in your, in your, in your clinics that, that could perhaps, you, you might not need to have seen, you know, what could parents do for, for things like if your child is getting tummy aches a lot? It's really common in children, isn't it? When do you need to worry or can is that is that something you don't need to really worry much so about? So belly aches is, you know, one, they're common, yeah, yeah, and one is not to panic and reassurance works wonders for most of the children. But there are some red flags that you would look for. So red flags like weight loss. Yeah, mm. um, a child who wakes up in the middle of the night with belly aches. I don't mean as they go off to sleep, mm. but when they're fast asleep and they're suddenly waking their mum and dad up because they've got pain. Mm. A child who toilets overnight, yeah, for goes um, poos overnight is a worry. Yeah, mm. because that's not normal at all. Mm. Yeah, child, once they're out of nappies. Yeah, yeah, once they're out of nappies and see, and then ch- children who have you know change in bowel habit with belly ache. That's different. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then you start becoming suspicious that something's going on. So but if a child's well and their bowel habit is normal and they're just complaining of tummy ache, I mean, my in my um, experience, the most common reason is is anxiety. They, that it's, yeah. it, they're reflecting their anxiety through their through their tummy ache. Essentially. Yeah. So if you, um, lots and lots of children will present themselves with belly ache because it's, if you imagine you have butterflies in your stomach and it's a hundred times worse, yeah. Mm-hmm then it's painful. Uh, Interesting. I was talking to a psychotherapist the other day and she was saying, when we're talking about kind of grief and pain and bereavement, she said children tend to feel their emotions very physically. So you'll often get a child that's, you know, sad and they get physical manifestation of that much more than we do as adults. I mean, gastroenterologists will talk a lot about big brain, the one in your head, and you only you have almost as many nerves in your gut as in your head. Yeah. And that big brain, little brain axis between your head and the gut is key. Yeah. 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 For example, when I do big lectures and I lecture all over the world, if I'm speaking to peers that are very similar level to me, I get bad reflux yeah, because I'm anxious. Yeah. yeah. And that's yeah. a physical symptom. Well, and if you have yeah. a, 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 a 20 or 30 
11 year olds lining up for the for an exam outside exam hall I mean a quarter of them will probably rush and, and have diarrhea that's not because they've got a problem with their bowels it's mm. because they're nervous I think it's hysterical one a couple of my colleagues one in particular I'm thinking of at the moment that every time we do lectures together so he'll do allergy I'll do gastro and the gastro allergy two minutes before his lecture he's in the loo and I'm yeah. just looking around for him where is he <laughs> so yeah and I'm, he, he's running off to the loo and I've got reflux got it's reflux. a great combination yeah, yeah. isn't it but there's nothing wrong with no, either no absolutely <laughs> I mean, there's nothing wrong with us. That's big brain, little brain. <laughs> We're recording this in uh, November as we get into the sort of sick bug season where there's um, gastroenteritis around. Obviously, this is sort of part and parcel of having young children and we kind of need to accept it. But is there anything that we can do for our children after a nasty bout of, of the sick bug that will kind of help restore their gut? Which often happens, you know, the whole family all then yeah. get it, won't they? Because yeah. it spreads so quickly. So, so in terms of bugs and stuff, usually you allow up to two weeks for your gut to settle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your gut should recover after two weeks. Some people are unlucky enough that it becomes protracted and lasts longer. Um, things that will cause that are things like lactose. Yeah, so your gut suddenly becomes unable to absorb lactose, or mm-hmm. and that inability to absorb lactose means that people can restrict lactose or even milk afterwards because so that that's can a, help. That can help. So restricting milky products or <coughs> milk after yeah. a bug. Yeah. Yeah, and then probiotics are a good strategy because probiotics will help rebuild your barriers in your gut and just help the immune system to boost within your gut. So there's lots of little tricks like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah, what and about the types of food that, that it was worth? Is it's very much um, try it and see because lots of children and lots of adults and children will have some foods that they just don't tolerate as well than others. So there's no specific food that generally helps uh, and see. And it depends on food groups that you may have sort of. If people eat. say bland food and, yeah, you know, and that does make a difference, yeah. I think, if you're having spicy food or really acidy food, or yeah. you know, that, that, can, that can be hard. Whereas if you're just having plain rice and a bit of broth, then that. Yeah, no, so so certainly in the first two weeks, you know, keeping things simple is absolutely key, just allowing your gut time to recover. And if your child is like really doesn't want to eat vegetables and fruit in that period, is that the end of the world? Or you just let them get on with it? Yeah, you know, sometimes to give them a break, and that's a yeah. good two weeks to give them a break. We give and our kids up. even two, you know, you can give your children some multivitamin, and then we know that they're getting vitamin C at least. Uh, yeah, so it? I mean, yeah. multivitamins. You know, there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of rebirth about certain kinds of vitamins and balanced vitamins. You know, vitamin D has had a massive rebirth because it's just really good for you. Yeah, mm. um, and C. So yeah, multivitamins in that phase and just allowing your child to recover and not pushing foods that they won't eat because when we don't feel well, what do we do? We don't eat, exactly. and then we try and make our children and force our children to eat things when they're not well. They'll eat them when they're having. Yeah. Of course, my, my children don't eat when they are well. They don't. Really, they're not that bothered about food. <laughs> yeah, that's just that's just. Being and if they've parent. been ill and they've had been prescribed antibiotics, obviously there's been a lot of talk about antibiotics. But and we know that they you know, they're useful, you know, when they're really needed. But they kill the good bacteria as well as the bad bacteria. So, is it really important to take probiotics? Yeah, when you're I think on antibiotics? That, yeah, I think there's going to be an interesting sort of strategy about what we do with antibiotics and the timing. So you finish your course and using probiotics afterwards is probably going to help probably accelerate recovery. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So not at the same time, it's after you've finished your antibiotics. No, because you, most of your probiotics are liable to be killed by the antibiotic you're giving. Yeah. So you might as well just wait that time. And you're changing the flora of the bug, the gut bugs um, dramatically by the antibiotic. And then you want to wait until that settles and then reintroduce them. And, and when you're choosing an, uh, a, a probiotic, Biotic, you obviously get a sort of spectrum of price ranges is it good to go for the most expensive or are they kind of all the same um i would look at how many colony units so they call them colony units so how much bugs are in there the so diversity, yeah, of the bugs. diversity yeah. is the second thing yeah and you see you're looking and all of them will have a range that is very similar names actually you'll find that they're all just combined slightly differently and seeing it's not just about cost yeah it's about um just looking at a range and something that your child will take and it's pleasant for them so well. even though reading the label of the probiotics to me looks like total gobbledygook it's just the more gobbledygook there is and the higher numbers associated <laughs> are the better ones is that <laughs> is that good advice 
Do you know we're going to try that tomorrow to see what happens? So, so actually, I've got to pick my son up later. I'm going to just give him a probiotic bottle and say, "What do you think of this?" And then he's going to memorial just squirm and say, "No, I just don't have any idea what that is." And I'll try <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah, I'll try that as a test. So I just what I wanted to. You, we were talking right at the beginning about how important the first thousand days of of a child's mm. life is, in, and we're talking from conception, really, aren't we? Yeah, um, we are. To, yeah. to the to the second birthday. Um, in terms of, of, of influencing their gut microbiome and their sort of profile of gut bacteria. What, I mean, presumably you can still change it after two. It's not that, you know, p- parents listening to this who've got children who are a bit older, who think, oh my goodness, I didn't do any of this. Have they, c- can they can they do anything now? No, it's never too late because in the end, you know, as I said, if you change your diet by what you're eating from vegetarian to meat eating mm. or vice versa, that's a dramatic change. Using probiotics is a dramatic change. Yeah, um, the main impact when your gut's most immature is between up until two, but your gut's still adapting and maturing. And when it gets an attack, so gastroenteritis or a bug, recovering it properly is going to help. Yeah. So no, it's never too late. Um, so, you know, my parents uh, were in their 70s and 80s and I make them take probiotics because, yeah. you know, I want them to age well. Are probiotics, does everyone in your house take probiotics? They do. <laughs> All the time? Uh, I'm a constant probiotic. We travel a lot as well, so the other evidence yeah. That if you travel to reduce the number of gut bugs and upset tummies you get, is probiotics are really good for you. So we have a family sort of probiotic pot. <laughs> that so. Are your children on board with it, or are they like, oh, he's not looking, we've got away with it? Do you, do you know, children are children, and trying to get compliance on anything in children <laughs> is a nightmare. So I think the problem is you can't slip it into hot food. So when they order the pizzas and they want to slip it onto the pizza, you can't because they'll be killed by the hot pizza. So you have to be really careful. Not so you shouldn't to. take your probiotics with a hot cup of tea? No, because you'll kill them there. They live at body temperature. Yeah, and so you can't overheat them. Yeah. And you shouldn't keep them in the fridge? Uh, so some some are stored in the fridge and some aren't. So you just have to look at what the storage instructions are because they're not all equal. Uh, so. so even if you've got a really good diet, healthy, varied diet, it's worth taking a, you, you think it's worth taking a probiotic? I do. I, I, I think the next few years are going to be really exciting because we're going to be tailoring probiotics unfortunately some people have patented your poo because people have started identifying really good probiotic bugs and started saying well that's really good and we're going to put them into studies and that's going to happen in the next few years but i think most of us will be adding probiotics into most medical therapies we give you so the answer is yes i I think they're good and you can't od on probiotics i mean obviously if you'd like to obviously drink the whole packet then that's not good but that would be a medical first, wouldn't it, to OD on <laughs> probiotics? No, I haven't seen it yet. No. Yeah, so. And we talked, we, we, you mentioned a few times prebiotics. Just explain to listeners what that means. So prebiotics are like good sugars. Yeah. So uh, the explosion of knowledge comes from breast milk, which contains some natural prebiotics, mm. and those natural prebiotics generate good bacteria. So they're kind of like a fertilizer for your good bacteria. They are, basically. Um, the only... You've already got, it's not, whereas probiotics, so you don't have them. So you've, yeah, but you if you think you've, like, if you've added a fertilizer onto some soil and then it suddenly rains very heavily then it washes away you have to be careful with prebiotics because they're not as reliable as probiotics so for example if you've got very rapid loose stools and you're using prebiotics they're not going to sit there for long enough to grow so there's you know so probiotics really key but um, it has a lot more variability yeah and do you need pre and probiotics together probably because breast milk has it you probably do but we don't really know see so it's another area your family take pre and probiotics (laughs) no they just take probiotics actually because I I haven't quite worked I've got my head around all the ins and outs and prebiotics are fabulous for you they're really good for you but you know the ins and outs of it I just don't I think they're more tricky actually it would be really interesting I mean I'm totally convinced now about sort of gut health and probiotics in terms of adults because you know parents I think often feel really depleted by childbirth and looking after children I mean I've never been more exhausted and wrecked in my life as since having children. Is there anything that we can do as grown-ups? I mean, I know this isn't your speciality, but is there anything that we can do, something simple that will sort of ensure that, I mean, you're talking about your parents and how you're, you want them to have good gut health and how important that is in the long term. Is there something quick and easy we can do um, that will 
be good for our gut health. Take probiotics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, in a word, yeah, exactly that. Because in the end, if you're going to sit there and improve your general health as well, you know, everyone will look at their balanced diets. Everyone's looking at that. Everyone's looking about the components. You know, and if they need multivitamins and you need supplementation, then you need it. However, using probiotics is the other thing you can do to yourself that's healthy, safe, and will help you not your short term but your long term health as well. So, yeah. And I don't think I'm I'm the only mother in the world who sort of waits for seven o'clock and the kids have gone to bed and then reaches for a glass of wine. <laughs> is alcohol really bad for your for your gut health or is it not? <laughs> I, I'm going to say absolutely not. <laughs> it's great for you. <laughs> well, it's a fermented food, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah, a glass of wine after a hard day, perfect. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> And one question, just before we finish, um, uh, people will often say, will say to me, well, what, how do I know what my gut flora is like? Can I test for it? Is there a sort of, so, is there a lab that I can send my stool to? And I know theoretically it's possible. You know, they, we can look and see what our, 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 our the, the bacteria that are in our stool. You know, what is there? But and there are quite a lot of therapists, complementary therapists, who also sort of send off these stool tests. And I never know quite whether you can interpret them. So, I mean, there are a lot of private facilities around testing labs that will look at microbiome. Yeah, and there are different levels of sophistication for microbiome. Um, we don't offer it as a routine test at all because we don't understand what the results exactly. mean. And yeah. that's our big problem. However, um, you know, there will become testing on a more routine basis. Uh, and when you say we don't understand what the results mean, that's no one understands what the no, results mean. Uh, and it depends what you're doing, whether, for example, if you look at sportsmen uh, or sportswomen, if you look at sports people who are having a microbiome, you know, a fit, healthy person will have a very different microbiome because of the type of activities they do compared to someone else who doesn't. Disease, you know, in disease states, so... I look after a condition called Crohn's disease. In Crohn's disease, it's very clear the microbiome skews to a very bad microbiome. So we don't really know disease and health and what's perfect. And remember, you're tailoring it to individuals. We've got a long way to go. So I, I'm not a fan when a, a parent will bring a whole microbiome screen on their babies because we don't really understand the ins and outs of balance. Presumably the only thing you can see is, is it varied? Are there lots of bacteria in there? And if yeah. so, that's quite a good thing. But so, what the actual numbers are yeah. uh, and where those cutoffs are, we don't understand yet. No, not yet. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's far, but I think we're still on a discovery. Uh, we're still on a journey and we're not there yet. Yeah. And it's going to change in the next 10 years a lot. I, I think it, you cannot go to a medical conference now in gastro yeah, and gastroenterology without someone talking about microbiome throughout the whole day. Yeah. Someone will mention it no matter what you're doing. Yeah. And that's changed. That's yeah, oh, do you know, in the last 10 years, no one mentioned it. Now everyone mentions it. Yeah. Well, Neil, this has been so illuminated. Thank you so much for joining us <laughs> You're today. Um, really great. Chiara, thank you for thinking of all the clever questions <laughs> to ask. <laughs> and thank you all for downloading another episode of the Parenthood Podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review us. And if you're enjoying the other episodes, don't forget to spread the word amongst your friends. The more listeners we have, the more episodes we can record. You can also follow us on Instagram. We're at theparent.hood or follow me at marina.fogel. We'd love your suggestions for new podcasts, so please do get in touch with us on Instagram. But in the meantime, from Neil, Chiara and me, thank you for listening and goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.